Welcome to Gutao Jingqing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wan. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. So I know we like to start off our podcast with sharing a walking the timeless way moment, which is basically what's an experience that you had recently that would be an example of walking the timeless way? Mm. Well, talking about walking, I was walking uh, this morning and I listened to a podcast. And in that podcast, I, you know, I heard a quote from uh, Krishna Murti, mm. and I, I really love this quote, and I immediately put that into use. So, so the mm. quote goes something like this. The day you teach the child the, the name of the bird, the child will never see the bird again. See that I, you know, immediately when I heard it, I said, "Well, that happens to me many, many times." Uh, you know, all the way back, maybe, you know, to my childhood when, you know, the whole world was full of wonder, and then, you know, like every other kid, you know, I start to learn the names of a tree or bird or everything. Then, I guess, like, you know, I. Learn more and more symbols of those things, but I forget the original, the real thing. So I mm -hmm. use those symbols, those names as a shortcut. So I'm not paying attention to the original thing. So yeah. when I immediately mm -hmm. I heard that quote, I just kind of uh, look around me and and start to uh, put aside all these names because around me there were like trees, I mean, birds, because I walk around the lake. So I just like use my original perceptions to just see and hear and listen. I pick up a lot of more things than just giving those things I see or hear a, a name. So that's- my What are the things that you pick up on? Oh, well, you know, a lot of things, like for example, uh, in the morning, the the lake I walked around was kind of a misty. So I, I noticed the, the mist of, uh, you know, over the lake. And when I smell, I smell some, you know, there's some kind of fishy <laughs> smell of that lake. Uh, I noticed, noticed also the the shadows of the canopy of the tree, and I, I know the name of the tree, of course, but I, I, I know, but originally, in the past, I think I just say, oh, that's the kind of the southern like, like oak, oak tree. But now I pay more attention to the, you know, the size, the shape, um, the texture of the tree, especially reflected uh, in the lake. So all those kind of things, you know, I, I, I think uh, once I get beyond the sort of the, my conceptual, usual conceptual mindset. 
yeah, it makes me think uh, Krishnamurti also talks about how it's thought that, that creates separation between us and experience. And that's what I'm hearing. What you're saying is that when you go past the labels of things, then you can have a more direct experience with the actual moment rather than just the symbols. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a, a almost like a, a way to get to the, the beginner's mind in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think a lot of times, you know, when it comes to a certain situation or even like people we, uh, you know, around us, uh, I think one way or the other, you know, we have this self-dialogue. I say, you know, uh, here's the person again, you know, I know, you know, what he's going to speak, you know, what kind of person he is. So that basically, you know, that's it. That's once you have that voice in your mind, you pretty much operate based on that. I think that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we can we could talk about this for an entire episode, but today we are going to explore chapter 14 of Tao Te Ching. And so I was hoping that you could start off by reading the chapter in, in Chinese, and then we'll do a translation sure. in English. Sure. Ting 是为呼黄，迎之不见其手，随之不见其后，指古之道，以欲今之有，能知古始，是谓道纪。嗯。Well, thank you for the reading. I'm going to kind of piece together. Um, a translation from a couple of sources. I'm going to read it first and then I'll attribute the sources. We look but don't see it and call it indistinct. We listen but don't hear it and call it faint. We reach but don't grasp it and call it ethereal. Three failed means to knowledge I weave into one. With no light above and no shadow below, too fine to be named, returning to nothing, this is the formless form, the immaterial image, the one that waxes and wanes. We meet without seeing its face, we follow without seeing its back. Hold to the way of the ancients in order to manage today's existence. To know its ancient beginning is called clarifying the way. So I, I borrowed from two translations. The, the first translation, the first part of the translation up until the last um, 
sentence or two was from Red Pine. And then the very final sentences I, I borrowed from the eternal Tao Te Ching by Benjamin Hoff, starting with the, the where it says, hold to the way of the ancients in order to manage today's existence. David, you and I were talking before the show started today that essentially this is the chapter that we derive the name of the podcast from, that you know, Gu Dao Jinxing is basically hold to the way of the ancients in order to manage today's existence. Exactly. Walking the Thames. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you pointed that out. It, it didn't even register with me that this was sort of the defining chapter for the the podcast name. I'm wondering if, if you would... Um, maybe just talk a little bit about what this, what, what is the significance of, of this chapter? It's very abstract. It's, um, very puzzling. It's full of a lot of paradoxes, which Lao Tzu loves paradoxes. Um, but first I'm wondering, you know, can you, can you tell us why is this chapter important? How, how can this chapter help us to live our lives better. Yeah, when I read this chapter, uh, what immediately came to mind was the, actually the the first chapter of Tao Te Ching. You know, as mm -hmm. you remember, uh, the first line of Tao Te Ching is the Tao, the Tao that can be told uh, is not the eternal Tao. Mm -hmm. I think in this chapter and also in you know, throughout Tao Te Ching, uh, I, I think here and there, Lao Tzu will try to, I wouldn't use the word define, but kind of portray or describe, uh, you know, what Tao, uh, you know, looks like or feels like or how Tao operates. This is one of the chapters, uh, I think, just from what's being described here, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's um, it's the reason it's hard to understand because it's beyond our you know intellectual understanding. You know, we use our uh, intellect most of the time to process the world. I think that's you know that was you know the the I, I guess the it, it's kind of mystical and. Uh, there's some enigma, you know, to this chapter. Yeah, for sure. I think about Taoism or Tao as sort of an an anti-god in, in the sense of, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of movies out these days that have anti-heroes. They're, they're heroes that don't act like heroes. Mm -hmm. You would never be able to identify them as a hero based upon their characteristics because they're not stereotypically heroes. And I feel like Tao is sort of like the anti-God, if you will, because it's it's this all-pervasive force that you can't identify. It's not like a lot of gods in uh, historically, they, 
you can identify them, you know, they're, they're loving or they're powerful or they're whatever with Dow, it's, it's the opposite. You, it doesn't have any identifying characteristics. It's elusive. It's mysterious. It's here all the time, but we, how, how would we ever know? We can't, it's so faint that we can't see it. Right. Right. I I like the, uh, the metaphor you just used here. It reminds me of, you know, like even within the Christian tradition, there's there, there, you know, throughout history, there, you know, have been uh, the Christian mystics. Uh, Mm. I cannot remember the exact word for that. It's basically the mystics approach uh, the divine from a negative perspective, like a God is not what is such mm. and such. Because traditionally we're trying to, you know, describe and, and portray the, the positive attributes, right? God is loving, God is forgiving. Uh, you know, then you, 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 you know, uh, paint a pot, you know, a picture of it. It's more affirmative. But the mystics tend to see from the opposite side, the negative side, and which, you know, I think paradoxically, it gives you a much expansive view uh, Mm. as opposed to because when you name it, right, when you describe it or define it, um, you are narrowing it down. I think that's the characteristic of thinking in general. Uh, And when I think about you know, this essence of our thinking or, uh, you know, reasoning and intellect, I think it it's a very useful tool for us to navigate the complexities of the world uh, by, you know, sometimes even oversimplifying things. I mean, when I, you know, mm-hmm. think about uh, the economics or political science I study at college, I think every subject, every discipline has the characteristics of trying to net out the nuances of the world and build a certain theory or model uh, to help us get a grasp of it. But then the downside of it is we start to believe in the, the, con- the concepts itself, mm-hmm. and we start to lose touch with the, that kind of a nuanced com- you know, complexity of things. Yeah, that there's, when we study things from an intellectual point of view, which is how education works, you you study mathematics or art or history or various sciences and, and whatnot. And the reality is, is that in this chapter, what we're really being presented with is that there's one thing that we're studying. It takes all these different forms and manifestations, but to try to separate things out is to kind of start drifting away from the source. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you are squeezing the spirit out of something or the life force Mm -hmm. out of something. And I think eventually um, it things I think turns into I don't know in my pick in my mind it's like turn uh, pale you know it, mm. it's almost like it's 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 dying totally like you think about the human body for example uh-huh. if if you're 
a chemist, you're going to look at the human body from, you know, the, the interaction of these molecules and, and that sort of thing. A, a nutritionist is going to look at, it's sort of like chemistry, but from the standpoint of the food and water that you're bringing into your body, a biologist is going to look at it from a different perspective and so on. But the reality is, is that when we start picking the human apart like that mm -hmm. we're no longer left with a subject at all we've we've eliminated the subject which is the individual human experience that we're all just if if we're really going past the intellect we're seeing is this amazing mind-blowing experience of just being alive and being a human all these intellectual subject focused ways of looking at that completely kills the spirit of being a human is kind of what I'm yes yeah, yeah exactly I, I think that's it uh, I think the uh, of course there's a place for that which is you know the the ease or the convenience of making things a little bit easier to mm -hmm. digest or absorb right because you are mm -hmm. uh, you're you're simplifying it, okay? Yeah. Uh, so that's why you know it's being useful, uh, you know, from a, a scientific or or knowledge perspective. But I find it's also there's an irony to it. Um, the irony is once you somebody uh, you know makes it a subject, like makes it let's mm -hmm. say a, a chemist, right? Looking at that from a chemist, you know, chemical interaction perspective, I think that chemist, because now it's its own domain, now that chemi chemist ironically is turns that into its own complexity. Mm. So by building upon more and more knowledge about it. So that's another interesting layer. So the first layer is to uh, take the nuances out of it, make it simpler, easier to comprehend. Mm. Then on top of it, because a chemist need to make a career out of it, you know, a, <laughs> a, a economist make want to make a publish, yeah. right? So yeah. within that narrow field, it starts to make it, you know, we call it a specialization. You know, I think yeah. there's adapts to certain things, of course, but it's so it's so becoming so deep. Sometimes I wonder whether that depth. Sometimes maybe the depth has you know, some significance or meaning to it. But if depths for the depths, its own sake, or yeah. for other purposes, like say, you know, I want to distinguish myself from other economists by making it a little bit deeper or marginal mm -hmm. or pettier, I wonder about the significance of it to in the grand scheme of things. So that's another interesting mm -hmm. tendency of a knowledge you make it simpler mm -hmm. and then you carve out a place and then you make it complex and your whole livelihood livelihood is depending on it it sounds very competitive and and it sounds um alienating as well yes but there's i i love how you put it because it it, it makes it so clear these areas of specialization 
one is to first reduce the miracle of spirit of consciousness, whatever you want to call it down to some, its own particular definitions, which simplifies it. Yes. And then create a whole world of complexity within that artificial arbitrary domain which then basically creates a moat between that specialty and all the other specialties because people want funding, they want jobs, they want, you know, their specialty to be kind of elevated within the economic system. But the problem is, is that it's all based upon this fundamental error. Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately it just makes that depth very hollow. You know, that depth, which is detached from the interconnectivity with the rest of the world, which make Mm -hmm. that, uh, even though it's it's kind of the the perceived depth, which is Mm -hmm. kind of empty and and hollow in a lot of ways. I think we can, you know, we're we're not trying to be scientists here. We're, We're exploring... Taoism, spirit, whatever you want to, to say, but you know, let's look at how technically advanced humanity has progressed by creating all these specializations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. You know, we've got a rover on a different planet. I mean, I can't even fathom the pre- the precise special knowledge that the engineers and who designed and created that i mean it's certainly impressive we're we're not trying to diminish how uh, amazing of an accomplishment Mm -hmm. that is i I, i'll let you speak for yourself but what i'm suggesting is that it's not enough and how you're saying it it kind of does hollow things out so you know, yes, we've put a rover on Mars. We have all of these pharmaceuticals out to change the human body's chemistry and then experience. But look at the state of the world. There's so much chaos and confusion. Um, suicide rates of teens are going up. Um, suicide rates are just going up in general mental health is just getting worse and and worse. We have people taking guns every day, it seems like, and shooting something up. So if 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 having all the specialized knowledge is so good for the spirit of humanity, why are we seemingly at this crisis point across the world and the nation and our communities? That's a good point, I think. Yeah. It uh, certainly didn't, uh, it has its own benefits, but it didn't seem to provide uh, any kind of uh, solution or uh, help us, you know, address, you know, so many problems that you just mentioned. Yeah, ask any person addicted to a substance or a behavior, how significant it is for them or how life-changing it is that there's a rover on Mars right now. Ask them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or any person out living on the street, you know, how significant it is for them that there's, yeah, we're, we're putting all these spaceships up mm-hmm. or that we have, 
10,000 pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. to choose from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in this strange world where humans are incredibly clever and are becoming more and more clever all the time. But fundamentally, we're as flawed as ever and, and our life experiences are as flawed as ever. How, how can Dow help change our situation? Or living with Tao, to understand Tao in the way that this chapter says, if you understand the ancient way, you can then understand today and learn how to manage today. Right. Live right. today. Yeah. I am, you know, as you use the word clever, um, you know, I'm trying to think about, well, first of all, Tao doesn't seem to be clever or it's not the the word right if we mm-hmm. use language at all to describe mm-hmm. Tao uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Tao is you know a good word to describe it is clever right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but maybe we can talk a little unpack clever a little bit more in order to yeah. for us to discuss yeah. what is clever? Yeah. yeah well clever so uh, again it's I, I think it's this way this ingenious way of dealing with material mm-hmm. you know what we're talking about i mean engineering is material right you know we're we're dealing with the material of the world and applying it like plastic in certain problem areas. So, and it can deal with things like global communication. It can deal with things like infrastructure, software, all those things. But material is just material. You know, it, it, cleverness operates in that material domain. It's, it's a way of, crafting material in again amazing ways i couldn't do it i couldn't do any of those things but but it doesn't get at sort of the real significant problems Mm -hmm. i mean sure you know um roads that's a significant problem but we're talking about an even deeper problem we're talking about the problem of ultimately death you know it's it's that death is ultimately going to take every human life every Mm -hmm. planet solar system everything that exists is going to be destroyed and engineering can't solve that problem and because we don't understand death, we also don't understand existence. We don't understand why we're alive. We don't understand what we are. We don't understand consciousness. Mm-hmm. We, we, and engineering doesn't solve any of those problems or even begin to be able to, to even describe them in a coherent way. And so 
those are the real fundamental problems and, and cleverness can't ever get to address those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From what you're saying, I sense that maybe cleverness has this kind of a narrowness to it, like without mm -hmm. any taking into a consideration some other important or even significant aspect of things. It's like for a very narrow uh, goal or purposes. Because obviously, you know, when you think about human civilization, uh, you know, humans are making uh, conscious efforts to understand the physical or the material world, right? Mm -hmm. And try to harness that knowledge and understanding to, you know, for what they believed to be the the benefits, right? To be to to produce certain benefits mm -hmm. for their for their living or for their daily life. Yeah, exactly. It it it's a way of um, kind of managing resources. Yep. And and what we're talking about is though that human experience is not material. You know, it's like if you wanted to take a vacation of a lifetime, do you want an accountant to handle that trip for you? Or do you want someone who understands what amazing experiences feel like and understands you and understands how you experience the world and experience life, obviously the accountant is just going to look at the numbers and that probably isn't going to be an amazing experience for you. But, and it's because that experience of that vacation is fundamentally different than, you know, the equations, the, the engineering of the cost of that trip. And, and so with cleverness, cleverness can deal with all of those mechanical aspects, mm -hmm. but we're still, what do we need? It, it begs the question then, what do we need to address some of these deeper immaterial problems that cleverness can provide? Well, first of all, you know, I think uh, uh, the beginning of it is to be aware of the existence of the immaterial. Because just in our culture, you know, we've been living in this, you know, very materialistic world. Mm -hmm. um, partially, I would say, because... Um, because the culture is kind of built around it. It amplifies that materialistic dimension. Yeah, um, totally. Consumerist. That's what consumerism is. Yeah. Means. So the whole thing, I think it's kind of out of balance. Uh, I, would, I would say that, uh, you know, we need, uh, you know, there is a physical dimension to us, you know, for sure, mm -hmm. right? We need yeah. resources. We need food. We need 
mm-hmm. stuff to, you know, we, yep. we need to derive energy, right, to sustain mm-hmm. the body. But the, I, I think the problem is uh, we get so lopsided or so myopic that I think we lose sight of or lose touch with anything that doesn't seem to be, you know, measurable, quantifiable, mm. uh, visible. It's almost that doesn't, you know, the whole the world pretends that those things don't seem to exist or don't give mm-hmm. enough weight to it. That's what I see the problem. And and so if you were trying to explain to someone how to see those other things, what are some of the basics that you might tell them? First of all, I, I think to um, start to detach from the world a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that helps because, you know, just like if you're, cup it's filled of all these other sensory stimuli Mm -hmm. it's hard to create a space for anything else Mm -hmm. so that's one of the things the other thing Mm -hmm. is to look beyond our time and 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 the current culture to go back to history and and maybe to get familiar with you know people like laozi uh, because during that time, maybe, you know, human civilization was on the rise, but not as so uh, humongous or complex as ours. Uh, you know, our conditioning, cultural conditioning is so thick and deep that, you know, we... We're just like in the middle of it. It's it's hard. We we somehow we need to unplug ourselves uh, now and then just to get a sense of what another time or another culture might look like. So that can be another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But what would you say to? I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and I think that the, you know they do kind of fall more on that the clever side of things, but they would say, well, why would I be interested in what Lao Tzu says? You know, he's just, he was superstitious. He comes from a superstitious time. It's just because they weren't so sophisticated like we are today. That's why they said that stuff. We can pretty much ignore it because Mm -hmm. it's, it's look at our modern world and how much better it is. Right. What would you say to them? Well, that in itself, you know, shouldn't we say that that itself is a bias? Maybe you can call it the enlightenment bias or empirical bias. Uh, you know, I, I think to recognize bias is very important because, uh, you know, just from, uh, you know, a neuroscience or cognitive, um, you know, science uh, perspective, increasingly, you know, let's just, you know, uh, using the new dis- research uh, uh, from you know our scientific world uh, nowadays, I think there's increasing body of research that shows the the bias in us. So 
you know, be, you know, to be aware of all those biases uh, toward the ancient times. I think that's very important. The other thing I would say, you know, just ask yourself and do some soul searching and to see, you know, you know, with all these material things, whether you're happy, right? That's a practical, mm. right? So if you say, oh, mm. you know, uh, I do not have that sense of happiness or joy, maybe just to re-examine, uh, you know, the uh, ways of constantly acquiring new materials, would that help you? If that helps you, I, I think that works for the individual, if not, maybe to start to see other possibilities. Okay. And so how will understanding the ancient way help me with those things? Um, I think the ancient way, um, because it, it's kind of the underlying principle. I, I find nowadays we have the tendency to think just or to react to certain situations. I think a lot of times the ancient way can help us um, look at things in a more broader or holistic uh, mm. perspective. That interdependence. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think that is important because the lens through which if we nowadays we tend to see, uh, OK, so here, here's the situation. But it, it, I think different individuals may uh, differently. Some people only see a small, tiny little things and some people can see a little bit wider. So when you talk to different individuals, you get a sense of how how deep or how high and how wide they look at things. Um, so I think the Taoist ancient ways, uh, it seems to me is the, probably the most, uh, the, the, the deepest and the widest lens through which we see the world, including our human society. And if we listened to that and paid attention to it and maybe dove deeply into the deep end of that, what would be different? How would I experience life differently? Um, I think it will open up new possibilities, a new, uh, new perspectives. It's not dogmatic. It's not trying to tell you, you should do this or you should do that. Uh, it's a path. It, it literally, it's a I mean, path. the way is a path. Right, right, right. Again, it reminds me of, you know, what Krishnamurti says, you know, truth is the path, pathless land. Uh, in other words, it's, it's not a, you know, a category. It's not a, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, you can narrow it down to something. But it's a, it's a perspective or mindset that, depending on the situations or circumstances, it opens you up as, as opposed to just lock you in a certain mode or box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, if, if there's any 
one single benefit of the that Taoist dimension. I, I think that's the one. That's the. Uh, it's not trying to dictate. Uh, you know, something like give you a a set of rules. Mm-hmm. It creates more of a. You know, a state of mind, or you know, I wouldn't use the even the word mind, but a, a, a deeper sense of uh, consciousness. That's maybe a state of being. Yeah, a state of being. I mean that you know when we say mind, we're really talking about consciousness, which is the quality of our experience. I mean that's ultimately another way of saying it. And so by opening up these paths, we're seeing new ways of being in the world. When we have these new ways of being in the world, and like you said, they're not prescriptive. How how you might then change or be in the world based upon studying these texts or studying the words of Lao Tzu might not might will feel completely differently than how I experience it. And actually, another Taoist thinker, Zhuangzi, really got into this. He has the um, the conversation of the two people on the bridge, and they're talking about the experience of being a fish. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they essentially conclude with, um, you know. Well, you'll never know what it's like to be a fish, so you can't make any of those conclusions. And really, that's what we're, it it feels to me like that's the same sort of space that you're wanting to leave, which is that I can't tell you that, you know, when you've studied this and gotten deeply into it, that you're going to feel this particular way, because I don't know what your experience of walking the path is going to be like. I can only know my experience of walking the path, but I can tell you it's going to feel drastically different than just existing in this material world that's been defined by symbols and money and the economic system and rules and culture and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in... The time we live in, I see two uh, two extreme tendencies. One is the tendency of sensory overstimulation. The other one is the rational mm-hmm. thinking. Both of these are pushing humankind towards something on the on the extreme. Uh, maybe Taoism or Taoist mindset create that a third path, I would say. Because as you can see it, like the, you know, the rational thinking part, the whole world is becoming more uh, uh, data driven, you know, mm-hmm. very, you know, using the, I think from the, Probably from the time of Francis Bacon, you know, the Renaissance, the, uh, you know, the scientific method. Basically, we believe in, uh, you know, we don't believe in mystery anymore. You know, everything mm-hmm. needs to be verifiable. It me- needs to be shown, the data and quantifiable. Uh, everything that is subjective or, 
you know, emotional or uh, intuitive. You know, we, we, it, 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 we have no method of processing it or dealing with it. We, we just mm-hmm. kind of, we pronounce that those are things are irrelevant. So what noise, huh? we, we, it would be when they talk about the signal and the noise in our way of approaching things or in our modern cultures way, it looks at all those things that you said as noise rather than the signal. And what we're saying is maybe that's actually more of the signal and less of the noise. That's right. That's right. So that tendency tend to, um, you know, uh, create more of a very headstrong elites who want to use systems and data to, uh, you know, create a world which is neatly, you know, controlled and managed. So that's the, that's one extreme of the world we are going. The other extreme are the ones that are maybe like without thinking at all, you know, let's just be, be merry, have fun and merry and, and be a mm-hmm. passive recipient of all mm-hmm. kinds of sensory and materialistic satisfactions, um, mm-hmm. you know, through, you know, cons- consumerism or other things. So that can be um, very numbing and dumbing at the same mm-hmm. time to humanities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, that can be addictive and creates its own problem. That's the almost mm-hmm. the opposite side of the other. Both sides are toward the extremes. Either, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're not, we're trying to escape and not using the heads anymore. We're just mm-hmm. becoming more animalistic in a sense mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. through the, you know, sensory overstimulation. Uh, yeah. The other way is super, super like smart and clever, but using the mm-hmm. data to see the patterns. I think yeah. these two extremes are very dangerous to the living beings. Yeah, because and also look how they're two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. that the, the, the clever data people are using that to push that kind of numbing and dumbing yeah. content and things onto people. And so it's kind of the same thing happening and we can see the effects on humanity are really. Bad. Yeah, they they kind of feed on each other in some way. They feed on each other. Right, right, right. But somewhere in between is more. um Intuitive, uh, it's more holistic, uh, it's more interconnecting mm-hmm. and more compassionate, I guess. It's, it's mm-hmm. more of, uh, uh, of our using our, you know, let, let's say the rationality uh, extreme is just very headstrong, very heads. It's all mm-hmm. mind and intellect and all these right? The data. Mm-hmm. The other one mm-hmm. is the, the body, right? Mm-hmm. But the body in the sense, not a active participant yeah. in understanding and experience the world, but like, you know, passive recipient yeah. of all the mm-hmm. noises and sounds and appetites and things, right? Yeah. But somewhere in between, bring that together is more of a softening of the heart's and the body as a embody more embodied knowing 
So body doesn't mean like body does is not just like an an object anymore, but is the、mm-hmm. it just works with the heart and soul and spirit to bring this whole thing together. I think that's the third way, which、mm-hmm. more closer to Tao. Exactly, and and there is a a pretty rich history of that in the the research world and、mm-hmm. and the ones that I found in active cognitive science. That's the middle way that it takes it 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 posits a middle way. So if you are on the scientific side of things, you know,、mm-hmm. read Francisco Varela. Um, study and activism. It, it gets into this embodied way of knowing,、mm-hmm. and、um, super interesting. And that you know, there's a lot of evidence that this third way, this embodied way, is、um, actually more accurate way of of seeing things. But even if we don't get into the scientific Research and just look at Tao. I mean, one of the three treasures is moderation, and this is really what you're talking about—a a more moderate way of showing up between just just rational or just hedonistic. That yeah, yeah,、um, yeah. Both of those go to extremes, where this moderate view is like. No, there is a physical body, but it's not just physical. It's out of that physical body arises emergently consciousness, emerges spirit, emerges being, and that is a different thing than just the physical components of. The material components of of the body, yeah, and that both. But we have to talk about both when when we remove the physical part. That's where we can start sounding kind of like a kooky, new agey person that pretends that the physical is irrelevant and just gets way too extreme that way. No, we actually have to talk about both as existing to to. Get closer to that moderate view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the maybe the the moderate view is it's definitely is not you know using let's say Eckhart Tolle's uh uh you know description in here just as a as an analogy here is the hedonistic view is more like below thinking. Like be,、uh, you know,、mm-hmm. uh, below thinking, sub thinking. Yeah, sub thinking. The other one is, you know, the rationality driven、uh, extreme is we are in our mind all the time. It's overthinking.、Mm-hmm. But somewhere in between is above our thinking. So we are,、mm-hmm. uh, you know, mediating or we are、uh, reconciling these two extremes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it does require, you know, more consciousness. Like we 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 cannot like.、Uh, I think humans, as a part of nature and evolution,、mm-hmm. you know, if、mm-hmm. it, it goes below thinking, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's more like a degrading, you know, holding yeah. existence, right? But yeah. if we think that there's only one way of knowing, we think, you know, you're like the mastermind of mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, but even that mastermind, you know, psychologically, we know there are a lot of cases, actually, it causes lots of problems of overthinking mm -hmm. anxiety because mm -hmm. it's just thinking too much. Yeah, and, and when we're talking about looking at Tao as this interdependent, connecting, integrating thing, mm -hmm. we need to do the same thing with our own experience. We need to integrate the spiritual and the physical. We have to integrate the body and the mind and you know recognize that they're not separate things and then subsequently we're integrating ourselves then in with this bigger yeah force that's happening um you shared with me maybe can we end on this today you shared with me a translation that talks about um aligning yourself with Tao, and it used a particular way of describing the benefit of that what would you do you still have that accessible to to share yeah about the how we um be part of that uh dao the flow of the dao yeah exactly um so so here it is this is actually the last sentence of this chapter. Practice abiding the path of Tao in the here and now. In doing this, you will share in its momentum an unimpeded unfolding, which started back at the beginning of all things. So it sounds to me like, you know, we are, Tao is flowing, and we are in mm -hmm. that flow. Mm -hmm. And by fully in, engaged in that flow and participating in that flow, fully and freely, you know, that we can realize the beginning of the Tao, and that we can also realize, you know, the full nature of Tao. So in, in other words, you don't have to create your own conceptual framework to say, oh, here it is, you know, here's one mm -hmm. way of doing it. Just like plunging to that water and feel it mm. and go with it. Well, thank you, David, for sharing that. It's a very lovely translation and a, a very beautiful way of describing these, I don't know if you want to call it, I wouldn't say they're concepts, but just this way of trying to be in the world in this timeless existence, but a, but a timeless existence that is constantly flowing mm -hmm. and unfolding. It's a beautiful paradox. Thank you for talking with, with us about it today. If you're a, a listener, we appreciate you listening. 
We also want to thank our, our contributors who have gone to walkingthetimelessway.com to support the podcast to cover, help us cover our costs. We're, 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 we've been getting some help, but we're still um, paying out of pocket to cover our expenses. So if you do feel like giving a contribution, it, it can still help us um, cover the cost to bring you this content. As always, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time to discuss more of Walking the Timeless Way.